All right, good morning, church. Good to see you all together. Good to worship God together. We're going to study his words. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 18 is where we're going to be. We're starting a new series, and it's called Strong Foundations. And really in this series, all throughout the month of July, we're inviting the whole church to, uh, to join the Brook Hills Kids Ministry in internalizing and memorizing passages in God's Word. Now, uh, the kids are way ahead of us, so we've got a lot of catching up to do, and I'm not sure we're even going to get there because they have, Brook Hills Kids Ministry has a five-year plan for internalizing key passages from all over the Bible, and we're going to look at just six of them. So they're, they're already uh, a good ways down the track, and we're going to try to catch them in some ways. And so really the whole idea here is to give them to you on your way out each week so that you can meditate on God's word and commit it to your heart and to your mind and your memory so that we're walking through this whole series together, uh, bringing God's word on board so that we're hiding it in our hearts so that we might be transformed by it. And here's the other thing is um, rather than just read the text, which is normally what I do when we're getting into a, a passage of scripture, I'll read it and then we'll dive in and study. Since we're working together to memorize these passages as a church, the passage is going to be read or rather recited by different members of the church. So this morning we're going to have that passage recited to us. Uh, so watch this with me. My name is Eleanor Ramsey and this is Psalm 18, 30-32. God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a sure to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock? Only our God. God, he clothes me in strength and makes my way perfect. Didn't she rock that? That was amazing. She's right here, Ella Claire. Did an awesome job. So we're going to have each week, we'll have different members of our church. Sometimes it'll be one person. Other times it might be more than one person who are reciting God's word to us so that all together we're, we're doing this. So here's the big idea. You see the message title is God's way is perfect. Simple but life-changing truth this passage holds out. God's way is perfect. So imagine with me a giant industrial facility and there's a huge machine that powers everything in the entire plant and something malfunctions in the machine and it's not working right. And so now the plant is down from 100% operations to 20% operations. The company's losing money every day out of their ears, major stuff going on. And so they call, they call the designer, one of the people who helped design this machine and they say, we don't know where to fix it. We don't know where things went wrong. Could you please come? And so he comes, and he's got one thing with him. He just walks onto the, the floor, and he's got this red marker, indelible marker. And he walks around, and he's just listening to the thing whirl and hum and clink, and he's walking up and down all the different parts of the machine. And once he's done listening to everything and watching everything, he draws a giant X on some of the aluminum casing outside of one particular part of the machine. And then he leaves. And then in this illustration, he goes home and he sends them a bill. And the bill is just an itemized bill with two things on it. Number one, one indelible marker cost $2.09. Knowing where to put the red X, $10,000. <laughs> 
right? So it's, it's not a real story, but you get the point. When something costly isn't working, knowledge of the source of the problem is priceless. And he knew where the problem was. He knew where to focus so that you can fix it and get this place back up and running at full capacity. Well, you think about this question. Is your faith in Jesus Christ operational? Is it just mental assent, theological categories, saying yes to certain things that you were taught as a kid, as we heard here? Or is it fully operational? Is it actually up and running? Is it actually working, bringing about change in your life? So Psalm 18, I would submit to us, gives us three truths to get our faith up and running. God hands us and holds out things that we need to remember about him. Three truths. The first is this. God faithfully instructs us. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. It's interesting verbiage that he uses there. The word of the Lord is pure. The purity of God's word It has to do with the fact that it's completely trustworthy. It has to do with the fact that God's word is flawless. It is not mixed with human fallibility. It is without error. It is impeccable. It is infallible. There's no falsehood mixed in with it. It's God's breathed out word. God's word is true. That's the point. God's word is true. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. The Apostle Paul would famously say, All scripture is breathed out, exhaled, is breathed out by God. So you just think about that metaphor that Paul is using under divine inspiration, right? So when you talk, you're exhaling. When you talk, you're breathing out. When God breathed out, we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fast forward, and Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, fast forward, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and all the way into the letters, and Corinthians, and all the rest, and all the way to the book of Revelation. God exhales, and we get 66 books filled and packed, jam-packed with truth. You can take it to the bank. It's God-breathed word. You, You think about how words relate to the author of those words, right? So if I am not a trustworthy person and I speak words then I shouldn't be surprised when you doubt whether or not they're true. If I'm given to lying on a regular basis, then the words that come out of my mouth are tethered to me. They're tethered to my character. On the other hand, if somebody tells you something and that person is reliable, that person is true, it's marked by integrity, you're inclined to trust it because the words relate to the person. The words relate to the one who spoke them. Well, what if 66 books were breathed out by God who can't lie? who is absolutely trustworthy, then we go to our Bibles and we expect everything this says I can believe. Everything this says I can trust. These are not man's ideas. It's not woven in with God's truth and also fallible human error. God breathed out and we got his word. Scripture says in Psalm 12 verse six, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in an earthen furnace purified seven times. So not only is the word true and we can rely on it because God is flawless, but we can rely on it because God is incapable of error. He's incapable of ever being wrong. That's not true of anybody you know, anybody you've ever known. No matter how smart they are, no matter how much of a genius they might be in life or how wise they might be in life, if you ever have a person... Uh, who becomes your kind of go-to genius in life. 
and then at some point they got something wrong and it kind of shook you to your core because probably your earliest go-to genius, at least for me, I'll speak for me, the go-to genius in our house was mom. And it was like, look, we can ask dad and we might get 50% of a chance that it might be the right answer. But mom studies stuff. Like mom, mom reads a lot. Mom was valedictorian in high school. Like mom is our go-to genius. And I remember the very first time I was shaking to my core because mom apparently got something wrong. I remember how it went down. I was Harold, Harold Keller Elementary School. I don't know, third grade, maybe fourth, third or fourth grade uh, math class. And... I'm sitting outside in the hall. We're about to go into class. And there's a kid next to me. And we're talking about our math homework. And I said, you know, number whatever, I don't, let's just say four. Number four was the hardest one for me, but I think I got it right. And he said, let's see what yours is. And our answers were different. And so we got into this argument about whose answer was right. And in the heat of the moment, I, um, I pulled mom into it. And... Uh, because I thought in that moment, I thought I remembered seeing my mom check my notebook. And so I said, um, I've got the right answer because my mom checked my work. And he raised the stakes considerably when he said, my mom checked my work. Um, so, so now we're, I mean, literally, we pushed all of our chips to the middle. It was, it was mom versus mom. Everything's riding on this, right? And I'll never forget that when the teacher was going over the answers and came to whatever it was, number four, and said the answer, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and the snarl on his face was one thing, but the, the harder thing was three words that were sitting next to one another in my mind that would not compute and made no sense. Mom was wrong. That made no sense to me. Now, even now, though, even now, you know, I have a way of going back in history and kind of saying, I bet you my mom wasn't even looking at my notebook that particular, like surely, like we're not math whizzes, Masons, that's like not our claim to fame. Uh, but I think third grade math, she's probably gonna get 100 in third grade math. Um, but that's the big idea, right? Even mom, even mom can be fallible. Even your go-to genius can be fallible. Realizing that that dynamic is at play in people that we trust can be a shock to our system. Here's the thing though. You go to Jesus Christ, the God-man, the savior of the world, the perfect human who came to earth, and you sit down with Jesus Christ in the pages of the Gospels, and you say, tell me what you think about the written word of God. And here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. That's Jesus Christ. It would be an understatement to call him our go-to genius. That's Jesus Christ saying about his Bible that it was the word of God down to the sentences, phrases, words, and every scratch and pen stroke in the Bible could not be contradicted and could not be overturned by higher wisdom. That's Jesus Christ's read on the Bible. Infallible, without error. God's word is true. Second, God's path is best. God's path is best. You see those words in our memorized text. God, his way is perfect. That word way is often in other places in the Old Testament. It's often translated uh, path, 
It's translated road. So it's God's road, the road that God puts us on, God's path for us is the best path. It's actually the perfect path. It's the only one that leads us to ultimate flourishing. It's the right road. It's the right path. It's the right trail. I, uh, my hometown, New Orleans, no one hikes. That's a generalization, but it's generally true. I mean, growing up, I could tell you there was not a single friend in my high school who I knew who had ever been hiking. We never talked about hiking. I never went hiking until I was 36 years old. And I know how old I was because I was 36 when I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And I went on my very first hike. We moved into our neighborhood that we're still in right now. And some of the neighbors said, you know, there's a trail that leads out into the woods in Chelsea right from our neighborhood. And so we saw the trail. So we got the kids and we got the leash and we got the dog. And we all headed into the to the woods for our, our, for our maiden voyage. It was our very first time hiking uh, in the mountains. And we go down there and we come out and it's six of us, including the dog, and we have seven ticks for the six of us. And I'm like, no wonder New Orleans never hikes, right? We know stuff. Uh, there's intuitive things about this, right? I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it was a bad path. I don't know if we were ill-prepared or if it's both. But, but here's the thing, God's word tells us repeatedly God says in his word, you need to be careful what path you find yourself on. Be careful what trail you walk. Know where that trail ends up. Know where it's landing. So often the Psalms talk about paths and ways of God and the trails or the roads of God. Matter of fact, the very beginning of the Psalms begin that way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way, it's the same word, path, road, stands in the road with sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Scripture would say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. There is a path that seems like it's going good places, but it ends up in destruction. Psalms talk about this all the time. How many of you have ever seen a trailhead map? So you're going hiking, and there it is at the beginning, and you see this, sometimes it's, a, it's just a large board of some kind. You go to Oak Mountain, and you see there's squiggly lines, right? Yellow ones, and white ones, and red ones, and sometimes they intersect, or you can connect from one line to another line, one trail to another trail, right? And that trailhead map, it's there it's there so you make it back, right? It's there so you know where does the yellow trail go and what does it connect to so we can make it back to where we began. When you read, for example, Psalm 25, you overhear David and he's praying about roads. He's praying about ways and here's what he says. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths, he goes on. He, God, leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show, note these two words, all the Lord's paths show faithful love and truth. In a sense, you look at Psalm 25 and you ask the question, where's David standing in Psalm 25? And the answer is, he's standing at the trailhead map. And he's saying, God, I want to make it back home. <laughs> Show me your ways. Show me the right path so I don't stumble around in the darkness and end up getting lost. And he's saying he wants two things in that verse that I just read. He says, I want to walk a path. Lord, I want to walk a path that leads to two things I can't live without. Faithful love and truth. 
You can't live without faithful love and truth. And here's the thing that makes that complicated. There are a thousand trailhead maps in our culture that promise to lead you to love and truth and the maps are wrong. And here in our psalm that we're memorizing, it's telling us God's ways are perfect. God's paths lead to love. God's paths lead to truth. Find yourself on the path that leads good places. Our memory verse reminds us God's way is perfect. You follow his voice, you're gonna go in the right direction. It's part of why we're wanting to memorize these scriptures together because of this big idea. The best way to walk in God's ways is to know God's word. That's why the scripture says, and the psalmist says, I will hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So God faithfully instructs us. Second, God faithfully protects us. The language that's used in that very next verse in 31, he is a shield. God is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Do you know the most oft-repeated command from God in all of the Bible is don't be afraid. Do not fear is the most often repeated command in all of the Bible. The point is this, our fears are big, but our God is bigger. God is the shield, it says in verse 31. Now, now, the fact that God protects us doesn't mean life is gonna be easy. You just think about it. Think about it for a second with me. When do you need a shield? In battle. (laughs) This isn't, you know, floating down lazy river. This isn't easy street Christianity. This is warfare. This is battle. You're going to need this shield. This is standard issue. It comes with the faith. You put your faith in Jesus. Arrows are going to start flying in your direction. You're going to need this bad boy right here. Hold it up like this and you'll survive, right? In one sense, sometimes we can get sold a bill of goods, a kind of cheap grace form of Christianity that says, I thought in becoming a Christian, the battle ended, so why the moment I believed was I given this here shield? (laughs) Because it's going to be hard. The path is not going to be easy. It's going to be uphill and down dale, and you're going to come over the rise, and an arrow is going to go whizzing by you. That's the real Christian life. Read Pilgrim's Progress. It develops this whole metaphor in an incredibly provocative and helpful way. And battle, by the way, is exactly where this psalm goes next. Look two verses down from our passage. He, Psalm 18:34, God trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me, here comes the shield again, the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. I think some of the people who are announcing in public and private spaces that they are done with Christianity, that they're turning away from the faith, I think some of them are gonna be back because they are currently under attack and their faith is faltering and their faith is failing. But just because we lose our grip on God doesn't mean he loses his grip on us. And just because the prodigal son goes a long way from home doesn't mean he'll never be back. And there's the father waiting at the front door, kind of looking out at the end of the day, waiting to see if the son comes to his senses and runs back home. So I think it's good for us. If we know people, brothers and sisters, those who have maybe turned away from the faith for a temporary season, for us to hold on to hope and to pray and to not grow weary in doing well and to intercede and ask God, turn the lights back on. Bring 
bring my friend, bring my son or my daughter, bring them home. And then there are others who are turning from the faith who maybe it's a different story. We don't know the heart, so we don't know which story is playing out, but there are some who leave the faith who had a positive feeling about this or that aspect of Christian teaching, and then they realized the truth of it is Christians suffer. Christians are called to persevere. Faithfulness to God in this world is not easy. It's costly. It's worth it, but it's costly. And there are some who, who again, respond to Jesus with feelings or emotions or whatever. They come up over the rise and arrow whizzes past their heads and they go back and they say, no, I'm not gonna need the shield. I'm done with this. I didn't sign up for this. Something that's so deeply important as we read our Bible is what do you fear the most? Do you fear the opinions of people? Do you, do you fear the, the scowl of a world that doesn't understand who God is and where he factors in life? Or do you fear the Lord? Do you trust in him? Is your reverence toward him? I can't think of anything more important than to urge you and exhort you as a friend in Christ, a brother or sister in Christ, to maintain your awe toward God. To rekindle your wonder at the glory and attributes and character of God. God is holy. God is just. God is good. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is faithful. God judges sin. And not a word of that is anything bad. Every word of that is righteous. Every word of that is good. We don't apologize for any of that because God's judgment is not some heavenly temper tantrum. God's judgment is his measured, just response to rebellion in his world against him. The stunning news at the core of Christianity is this. God's wrath is real, but we have a shelter. Both of those have to be held in tension. It's not like we just start talking about shelter, shelter, shelter. It's like, well, if you don't feel the reality that God's wrathful toward sin and human rebellion, then you don't need a shelter. Shelter doesn't weigh anything for you. It doesn't feel like grace. It doesn't feel like wonder. It's just feel like, well, of course. I mean, it's God's job to forgive us. No, that's not, that's not the way this goes. God's wrath is real, but we have a shelter. In other words, let me come at it this way. If, if we downplay God's judgment against human sinfulness, we are emptying the gospel of the very stuff that makes grace amazing. Here's the truth of the gospel. Here's the truth that sits at the core of Christianity. The God who made us in his image as human beings, he loved us from day one. It was an overflow of his love that started this whole thing. He provided everything. He packed the pantry. It was an amazing place in Eden. It was paradise. And what did we do? We turned away from him. First chance we got, we said, thank you, you're fired. That was the response. We took the gifts and ran. That's how it went, right? And then what did we do? We installed, keep reading the Bible, we started installing other gods in God's place. Money, pleasure, power, pride, and we gave them the glory that belongs to God and him alone. And we thought we could do that with impunity? Right, Romans 1 says, no chance. That's not, that's not how this goes. Romans 1 and 2 and 3 says, when a holy God comes into contact with a sinful world, no human being will be able to stand before him. Everyone in the world will be silenced and all the world will be accountable to God. That's, that's the verdict. And then 
wonder of wonders, in Romans 3, verse 21 to 26, we are told, while we're standing there with our fingers over our mouths and nothing to say, waiting for condemnation, we're told there's one place in the world you can hide and find shelter from the judgment we deserve. And that one place you can hide is in the shadow of the cross. It's Calvary. We, we stand behind the cross and God's justice against human sin slams into our substitute who absorbs the full measure of God's judgment against sin in our place. We're safe in one spot, in the shadow of the cross. And that's why Romans 8.1 clicks, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for all who are in Christ, hiding in that one place that's safe from the judgment we deserve. No wonder heaven's songs are all about worthy is the lamb who was slain. He was slain for us. God's wrath is real, but we have a shelter. The question for us this morning is, have you found the shelter yet? Have you found the one refuge in the world where you can hide from what our sins deserve? Run to Christ. Turn from sin. Hand in your false gods and idols that we were trusting in moments ago and run to the rock and refuge. And that's what Psalm 18 talks about. It talks about a rock and it talks about a refuge. God's real, God's wrath is real, but we have a shelter. Next point, though we are shaken, we have a rock. Though we are shaken, we have a rock. For who is God besides the Lord and who is a rock only our God. We, we know rocks, right? As, as humans, there's almost this like magnetic attraction we have from the day that we're born almost with rocks. We, we stack rocks, we skip rocks, we collect rocks. As parents, you find rocks in the most unlikely places. You know, it's like you'll just be walking around, you'll reach in your pocket, and it's like, why do I have rocks in my pocket? You know, because your kid was just like stuffing them in there, just found this cool jagged rock, stuffed it in your pocket, right? You reach in your purse, there's rocks in there. You look at the, the kitchen sink or whatever, there's rocks, <laughs> rocks are all over the place because rocks are awesome. And then we grow up and we go on vacation and we love to see rocks or we choose desktop photos that look like this. That's, that's your, you just want to stare at a rock all day long. Whenever your computer goes to sleep, you look at that. <laughs> you can't take your eyes. There's something about rocks that's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the best one. I wasn't even sure that was real. And I'm like, is that really in the world? And my Chilean friend said, yeah, that's my homeland. Uh, apparently, anybody, is that a fact check on that? I think so. Um, so I... I love this book. I've quoted this to you before because it talks about the language that's used in Scripture about who God is and how creation language is employed to tell us something about God. Here's what Andrew Wilson says. Theologians point out rightly that the language used for God in Scripture is often anthropomorphic. That's obviously a $3 word. It means that the language of Scripture is oriented to things that we've seen in human bodies, right? Things we're familiar with, arms and hands and eyes and noses and so forth. So, so the language is often anthropomorphic, and we shouldn't take it literally. God doesn't literally have a mighty arm. The nations are not literally under his feet, and so on. But this only tells half the story, and in some ways the less important half it might be more helpful to say that the world is theomorphic. It's pointing to God. 
things take the form they do because they are created to reveal God. We describe God as the rock, not just because rocks exist and they provide a good picture of safety and stability. No, rocks exist because God is the rock, the rock of our salvation, the rock who provides water in the desert. I love this. Ever since the beginning, the surface of this planet has been covered with rocks and every one of them has been preaching a message of the faithfulness, security, and steadfastness of God. Moses, go into the Old Testament, find somebody more awesome, right, than than Moses. And Moses knew stuff about rocks. Moses carried a big slab of rock with some pretty important words carved into it. He knew, you go backpacking for 40 years in the Sinai Desert, you're going to be an expert on rocks by the time this thing is over. And Moses, toward the end of his life, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says, their rock is not like our rock. He says, the the rock that the nations lean on is going to fail them. Our rock will never fail us. And that was Moses, essentially, that was Moses taking out one big red indelible marker and drawing an X and saying, here. If we don't do this right, the whole thing falls apart. (laughs) He is our rock, not the gods of the nations. You want strong foundations? Realize every day you live, there are false gods clamoring for your worship. And they manifest themselves in the things you trust, the things you need, the things you fear, and the things that entice you four manifestations of idols. Idolatry, idolatry is not some weird thing the ancients did. Idolatry is what happens when you build your life on the wrong rock. That's idolatry. The wrong rock. You identified the wrong rock and you're leaning on it as if it's gonna hold you up. You ever scroll through social media hoping to feel better and it ruins your day? You ever make friends with somebody who manipulates you and they twist you in the wind for their own fulfillment and you keep playing along? You ever chase pleasurable experiences and fun experiences and you realize the happy feelings are gone the moment the experience is done? You ever try to view Christianity as a religion of rules that threatens to throw you out the moment you don't measure up? Verse 31 says, don't build your life on the wrong rock. You'll find yourself falling. You'll lean on something and it will not be able to hold you up. Verse 31 is, who is a rock? Only our God. Only the one true God. Kids, I'll just talk to you for a second because this is a special month for kids to be in the room. Brook Hills Kids Ministry is not happening these particular days. Kids, next time you see a giant boulder, next time you see a big mountain with a rock face on it. Tell your mom or your dad, that's kind of what God is like. God is strong. God won't move. The wind can blow as hard as it can against that mountain and it's never gonna move because God is powerful and God is awesome and I can rely on him. And when you do that and when you say that, guess what's happening? Strong foundations. Strong foundations is what's happened. You are being made strong. You are saying, who is God besides the Lord? Who is a rock? Only our God. God faithfully protects us. God faithfully instructs us. And third, God faithfully strengthens us. 
faithfully strengthens us. He, verse 32, God clothes me with strength. You're dressed in strength by God. He clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. Here's the truth to hold on to. God's purpose is to make us like him. God's purpose is to make us like him. Notice, so here we just got three verses we're working with this morning. And notice how it begins, it ends the way it began. Our passage starts by telling us what God is like. Our passage finishes by telling us what we're going to be like. And those two things are the same. What God is like and what we're being, becoming like are the same. The first five words of our passage is God, his way is perfect. The last five words of our passage are God makes my way perfect. The God who is perfect is making us perfect, is perfecting, is sanctifying, is clothing us with strength. It's not just theology. It's theology that lands in transformation. That's what this verse is about. The same Bible that says God is a rock also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus is a rock. And that same Bible also says Christians are rocks. Christians are, Peter says, living stones. It's interesting. Peter wrote those words. Peter, who when Jesus first pulled up alongside him, his name was Simon, and Jesus said, I'm going to call you something else. Petros, rock. That's your new name. And then here's Peter toward the end of his life, and he's writing the epistle called 1 Peter, and then he'll write 2 Peter. Notice what Peter says. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So you look at verse five and you say, would the living stones stand up? Jesus stands up and the church stands up. Jesus is the living stone rejected in the sight of men, but in the sight of God chosen. And you yourselves as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Not only is God strong, God is making us strong as our psalm would go on to say in verse 34, so that our arms can bend a bow of bronze. You think about how the Bible essentially is God introducing himself to us, to his covenant people. It's God, the triune God. God has always been triune. He didn't become triune in the New Testament. He has always been one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we look in God's word and we see the triune God in the fullness of his glory, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I would submit to you that that's right here in our passage. Yes, the workings of the triune God are inseparable, but they're also uniquely assigned tasks. And when you think about the uniquely assigned tasks that belong to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, and you look at verse 32, you ask the question, which member of the Trinity is responsible mostly for verse 32? For clothing us with strength and power and for making us perfect. And the answer is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. This is at the end of Luke. Luke's gospel, and he says, disciples, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That clothing with strength ultimately ends up being the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes our path perfect, who guides us in the Christian life, who directs us along the path of obedience and mission, the Spirit of God, who makes our way perfect, sanctifying us, patiently changing us from the inside out, who is actively working in our lives, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. It's the Holy Spirit. 
So what's that mean? It means if you don't see the glory of the triune God, your Christian life will not be fully operational. You need it all. The Christian life is, turns out, all about our perfect God. The Father speaks, the Son rescues, the Spirit transforms. Your faith won't be fully operational without the triune God making you stronger. You think about those three. God the Father whose word is trustworthy, who breathes out his word. God the Son who is our shield and our refuge and our rock. God the Spirit who gives us power and guides us home. We have everything we need for life and godliness in him.